Welcome to Beyond the Sales Floor. I'm your host, Morgan J. Ingram. And what we're going to be doing is unveiling and unpacking sales playbooks from enterprise sales leaders. I got to interview Chris Fedden, VP of Sales Development and Partnerships at Altera. And we found out how to do a one-to-one sales development model and prospect into the enterprise, which I know some of y'all are asking for. So we, we got that for you. I got you. <laughs> also as well, we learned how does partnerships play into sales development pipeline, which is really unique. And Chris doesn't like Bayon. So you might want to hear why. Check it out. We have Chris here today, and we're going to start off with our question that we always begin with, which is, what is an experiment you're running with right now that you're excited about? All right. So over the past year, one of the experiments that we started off with was video. And I think a lot of companies, especially on the outbound side, focused on video as a way to break through. But we've started to modify that and realizing that the biggest challenge with video is how do you get somebody to actually click the link? That's actually the biggest challenge that we found. So we've done a couple of things there that we're experimenting with that we've had some pretty cool results. One is what we call like the permission-based video. So Hey Morgan, if I shot you over uh, an email and had a two minute video and it showed you how you can do this, solve this problem, would you watch it? And so what that does is start to get us a little bit more engagement, start to get the conversation going. And oftentimes what we do is, you know, whether you do or don't get that response, you can hit them with a screenshot, you can hit them with a, a GIF, you can start to actually use that to just get the conversation going. So that's huge. And then another, people sleep on it, start to use um, different thumbnails, use Canva, start to jazz up what your thumbnail looks like on a video beyond just the whiteboard or waving. I think a lot of people use that. And so we've seen those two things get astronomically higher view rates than what we were doing before. So fun experiments, some of our SDRs started messing around with it and it's actually um, started to matriculate through the rest of the team. Okay, so you, you came to play today, you came out hot with this tip. So yeah. tell me tell me a little bit more about astronomically better, like. What are the open rates? What's the reply rates? And then what's the reply rates? There's a lot of questions here. What's the reply rates of people just saying, hey, I want to see the video and then video to reply to that on the response. And then there's a lot of questions so we can go back to it. But my other question is, when are you seeing this? Is this like first touch, fourth touch, et cetera? Yeah. So from a reply rate perspective, and I'm close, I I don't have it in front of me. One of our SDRs is around, I think it was five to 10% of the videos he sent, he was actually getting views on. Um, he switched to this more permission base and also using Canva, he was getting closer to like 45, 50%. Wow. And that was pretty much overnight. And so that's the sort of reply rate that we're seeing. Usually when we're doing this, we see that LinkedIn works better. So email, I mean, everybody's a little bit more guarded on email. So if you can get the connection, you have a profile that's set up that makes you appear credible, you're going to have a much better hit rate on this. And so we're seeing it like first touch, we connect with somebody, we may be engaged with one of their posts. But from there, send them a DM. Hey, Morgan, if I sent you over this thing and I could show you how to do X or stop you from doing Y, would you watch it? And being very specific with the ask is key, but also just being brief. Um, that's the main thing there is to show that it's actually real and that you're kind of putting yourself in their shoes. So a lot of our strategies around, if I put myself in your shoes, this is what I'd be trying to do. And so this is an easy way to bridge that gap. No, I, I love that. I think that's a great way to put it out there and... One final question is, do you do that with LinkedIn as well? Or is this only through email? Mostly LinkedIn. LinkedIn okay, is actually mostly, okay. Right. Okay, yeah. okay. So, okay, so okay. we're doing it over email. And again, 
you know, the reply rates on that, you know, it, it's it's not as if like we're seeing anything like north of 20% of people are saying, yeah, send it to me. Sure. But what it does is it also gives you an easy way to bump it with a GIF, with a screenshot to continue to kind of sell the, hey, do you want to see this? And so it's it's a little bit better than, you know, any thoughts, want to bump this to the top of your email. So even if you don't get that response, it at least gives you a bit of a train of thought on your sequence or cadence that you can keep progressing with. So we try to be as visual as possible. And this kind of is a good way to kick it off and hopefully they respond. But if they don't, you can still take it somewhere. Perfect. Okay. So we already are talking about using video, but I know that's not all of your strategy. Could you tell us about the top level overview of what you're doing from an outbound perspective and how do you look at your strategy? Is it account-based model? Is it pause? Is it one-to-one? -one? What's going on? Yeah. So um, from an SDR perspective, we typically have a single SDR supporting two AEs. Um, in most cases, what they're doing is, is they're carving out 30 to 50 target accounts, and they're really prioritizing those sort of tier one targets. So our goal is to know who the major players are, make sure that we can be as refined and specific with our messaging as possible. And then from there, sort of a little bit of the Gary Vee, like, you know, jab, jab, left hook, like we're trying to deposit as much as possible before asking. And so what we found is that a more visual sort of talk track, whether it's videos, GIF screenshots, like you're repeating those or like how you can start to break through, especially if what you're showing is specific to the prospect. So we're lucky we have data that's relevant to our prospects and we know what they might be interested in. But I think the more that you can show a little bit of that before and after with it, some sort of imagery, the further, much more that you break through because everybody has an inbox flooded with text emails. If you can show images, you're going to be a little bit different if you can break through um, some of the email filters. Yeah, I mean, that's a good call out on the email filters. And speaking of reaching out to different people, how do you segment out the team? Do you have people who are enterprise only, SMB mid-market, and do those strategies change based on the segmentation? Yeah, it's a great point. So from a SDR perspective, we're focused purely on enterprise. Um, so generally, any of the verticals we're going after are you know, financial services, um, consulting, nonprofit, luxury. So we're going after a lot more name brands. When we think about segmenting messaging, the one thing that we try to focus on is the seniority of an individual. Um, and so generally what we found is if you're going with somebody with what we call like an exec persona, a VP, C-level lead, they're much more focused on results for the organization. If you're focusing on a director or lower, they're much more focused on like pain points for themselves, the annoying things that just kind of take them away from what they want to do. And we try to split that messaging to make sure that we're hitting home with more of a results base or how do I erase this pain that you probably feel? And so that's how we think about segmenting the message to be a little bit more tailored when we're going up market. And I, I want to listen, but listen as well. I mean, you talked about outbound channels you're seeing success with. You mentioned LinkedIn, using video, getting through the filters on email. What have you noticed when you've been doing these different experiments and going a little bit outside of the box here? You're converting with enterprise, you know, you said financial, luxury. Most people would just say, let's do traditional email. What prompted you and the team to be like, you know what, let's test this a little bit and go outside the box, even though we're going after enterprise accounts? Yeah. So the interesting thing is like Altrada within our business, like we were theoretically as a company really launched about a year ago. So we don't have the luxury of being a name brand that everybody knows of. We have products that have more of a, a legacy footprint that our customers or prospects know about. So the thinking was we've got to break through. We're getting into the we're trying to get into the accounts that are really highly targeted. Of How do we do that? And just generally, like I have a, a thesis that B2B buying trends follow B2C buying trends. 
by somewhere between five to 10 years. And I think that what I look at is like, what is breaking through in B2C? A lot of that is going to be a lot more video. It's going to be highly targeted, a little bit more of a multi like omni-channel approach. And so that's what we try to do on the B2B level so that we can break out. And I think it's part of it is just letting somebody know, like, you're not going to go away. Like you're looking for a response. You're looking to try to start a conversation versus trying to book a meeting. And I think that we're not trying to ask for 15, 30 minutes. We're just trying to get a conversation going because once you have that momentum, it's a lot easier to get a meeting. Like they, they know how to ask for a meeting if they're interested. It's about how do you start that conversation that we see as like the leading indicator to actually getting a meeting. No, I, I like that piece. And so that really transitions into like the next part, which is you're in a sales role. And we've talked about that part, but you're also in partnerships. Could you tell us a little bit more about the channel channel strategy? Yeah. So our data typically exists within CRMs. And so we have a number of different partners, namely CRMs, where we have a vested interest in the sort of one plus one equals three of our customer success. And so what we try to do is it's not enough to just be a partner, or have a logo on a website. What we're aiming towards doing more of is making sure that there's a vested interest for our partner counterparts, for their AEs, and actually bringing our AEs together to formulate account strategies. So how do we make sure that we're supporting an account? We can help them, they can help us. And sometimes we know things that they know they don't know and, and vice versa. So I think a lot about partnerships is, is being aligned, but also not stretching yourself too thin. It's focusing on five accounts, it's finding little wins, it's sharing those wins to get the larger team involved. Because this isn't a motion that most AEs and salespeople are used to. And I think that breaking that sort of direct, what I call like the, the Kool-Aid approach um, yeah. and bringing through the front door is, is something that's a, a bit of a change, but as you start to build some relationships with partner AEs, it really creates a bit of a flywheel where you can work together. So that's what our main focus is on is using our partners leverage, using maybe the more eyeballs that they have, but really focusing on the individuals we can work with there is where we think we get the most leverage. And when you think about the most leverage, how are you making sure that this works with the outbound channels and what are some things that you've like tactically have done to make sure everyone's on the same page? I mean, you mentioned some things already, but how do you make sure that people understand this is where we're going, even if they come from a different model? Yeah. So, um, make sure I answer your question correctly. There's a couple tools that really help with this. So, um, some people might be familiar with Crossbeam or reveal, which is something mm -hmm. that you can work with partners to actually see who your mutual customers or prospects are. And so once you're able to understand where you have that mutual fit, you can then be that much more specific in your messaging. And so from an outbound perspective, like when you can go beyond the layer of, I noticed your title is X instead of like, I noticed you're using these sorts of tools or it looks right. like this, is what you're using and here are ways that people use it and layer on our solution. We see that that being a really specific message that, that resonates where somebody actually feels like it was personalized to them because it was. And so having that little bit more of like knowing what you're fishing for and who's using what can be the difference when it comes to the outbound plays with with partners or at least sort of focusing on the same targets. And then targets, people obviously are going to commissions out of this. How does it differ from the outbound commission structure from the channel partnership structure how does that all work um that's the thing that we're focusing on is that for a lot of companies sometimes the partner ae if we think about like a crme they're not always incentivized to you know bring um, a third-party solution in and so one of the things that we talk a lot about our partners a lot to our partners about is how do you actually compensate your aes 
And how can we, frankly, compensate them in a way that makes sure that we're all aligned? So we're toying with some commission models. Typically, there's a, a rev share basis with data partners like us when we're working with CRMs. And so what we're looking at and really you know, advocating for is how do we actually you know, slice off a percent for the AE to make sure it's worth their while? How do we make sure that everybody's aligned? Because the last thing a salesperson wants is like a conversation going on about another solution that doesn't benefit them. And so what we aim to find is like an equi equitable way to make sure that that happens. It can be difficult to track just being realistic, but I think right. there's some tools out there that are aiming to do it, but that's the perfect world is, hey, if, if we're gonna bring, we're gonna work together on this, let's make sure that the AEs are all having a vested you know, stake in working together so that you don't sort of have um, apathy towards whatever happens. No, <laughs> you don't, you don't want that. So speak, yeah. speaking of getting opportunities across the line, reaching out to people and scheduling meetings. There's always a qualification process. So yeah. how are you coaching your reps to do the qualification process? Are you using BAM? I've been talking about that lately. What, what's your take on this? Uh, uh, we'll, we'll park BAM for a second. So I, I think when it comes <laughs> to qualification, uh, think about outbound. What's really important is operating under very specific terms of what, in, what an acceptable account looks like and what acceptable titles look like. You, you can't you know aim for timing, you can't influence somebody's timing, but if you know the right titles and the right types of accounts, whether it's based off revenue, headcount, other signals, that's the purest way to make sure that at least the conversations your AEs are having are positive ones and they're not a waste of time. Once you get into that, when we think about like disqualifying an opportunity or something that an SCR isn't getting credit for, it's oftentimes the logic that I have going into it is, could somebody have feasibly going into the meeting have known there's no way in hell this is going to work. Like it's a, it's an intern, it's a coordinator level at an account way too small. And so we sort of operate under the model of if this is accepted, if it progresses, you're in the clear, but going into this, if we could have called out with like 90% certainty that this was going to go nowhere based off the title and the account mix, that's where we get DQs. And so we find that being a good way to make sure that our SDRs are focused on the right titles. They're not just taking meetings from anybody. Um, as far as Bant goes, my sort of like 30 seconds on Bant is I'm not a huge fan of it. It's, it's really self-serving in my opinion for salespeople and also sort of, it sort of assumes that a salesperson can't influence the need or understanding how big of a problem something is or how to get to a larger buying committee. And so I think that the problem with Bant is if you use your sales, if you ask your salespeople to use it, they're going to take it literally and it's going to create a really inferior buying experience. And anybody who's on been on the receiving end of a BANT uh, qualification, it's miserable. You get nothing out of it. You feel like you're there to like check boxes. And so really for, for me, like BANT is a four letter word, like literally and sort of euphemistically. Um, and so we, we really try to, to keep our reps focused on, is there a problem? Is it worth solving? Does the prospect know that the problem's worth solving? And from there, that's where you can create some momentum. And selling is about expanding, you know, the scope of the problem and making sure that Frankly, it is worth it and getting to the right people. So I, I think Bant is uh, not a positive for buyers or sellers, in my opinion, it especially really hurts more junior salespeople because they take it seriously and they ask the questions the way they've been asked to. And that's not really fun for anybody. I agree. I think it, it forces people down a route that you said that is not overall impactful, which is what you do not want right at the end of the day, based on everything that's going on. And so I could not agree with that. I could not agree with that even more on the band side. And I think people need to just 
focus on what is the buyer saying and ask those intentional questions. Easier said than done, but that's the goal here, right? So shifting towards like the next question here is whether using BAN or not, sales cycles are getting longer, right? So how are you making sure your team is progressing sales? Yeah. So progressing sales generally, in my opinion, comes down to ensuring that you have a champion. Uh, and Chris Orlov's done some amazing stuff on what actually a champion is versus, you know, somebody who's an influencer or a coach, but ultimately you need somebody that has influence that has really a, a reason for wanting the solution. And I think that the more that you can understand very early on, if you have a champion or not, that's, what's going to dictate the length of your sales cycle and sort of unpopular opinion. There's a lot of these opportunities that are dragging on that should have been killed months ago or weeks ago. And so I think the key to you know, driving faster sales cycles is being very defined with realistic on who you're going to sell to. And it's really hard in an enterprise motion or even an SMB mid market. If you don't have a champion that wants your solution, has influence, will go to the mat and fight for it and can fight, quite frankly, like sell it internally. And part of that is really understanding and having those conversations with them, using them as a sounding board, talking about your concerns so that you have confidence that they can do that. And so I think what you do with a champion is ultimately the single biggest thing that you can do to impact a sales cycle to number one, make sure it closes, but also to make sure that you can push it along as fast as is feasible. So that champion development is huge in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the most important things I say it a lot. Like, you know, we have deal insurance, we have, or we have car insurance, we have house insurance, but we don't deal insurance. And so having more champions, people who are advocates, people who ultimately can, sell internally because that's what we're doing we're coaching people to sell internally on our behalf and if you're able to do that you'll be successful and ultimately right if we shift to the next component of this if we look at we take a step back and look your outbound strategy you mentioned a couple things on how you're getting these conversions through linkedin and video etc what are the metrics you're using to track your outbound strategy success so there's 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 some irony in this and that in, in my opinion where i'm seeing is a lot of the market going is a lot of the things that separate it's called an average to a great SDR are really hard to see in the metrics. And so I'm trying to adjust the way that I think about this, this question, because I've, it's, it's something I've pondered a lot, but when we think about just generally, you know, you've got to have a certain amount of coverage on your accounts. You've got to have a certain amount of like at bats, you know, if you know, you have a 10% connection rate on the phone, guess what? You've got to make enough calls to have an adequate chance at booking meetings. Um, that being said, I think where I'm seeing the reps get the most success is that they're doing the little things. And that doesn't always show up when it comes to a Salesforce dashboard or an outreach dashboard. And so um, that's a really big key is making sure that you're sort of going beyond the sequence. You're making those extra calls. You're being, um, you're looking at the reply rates. You're looking at the leading indicators to success versus just how many meetings were booked, how many of those converted into real opportunities, proposals, close one, et cetera, et cetera. We track all of those things but sometimes they can be misleading. And so I think focusing on a reply rate is the surest way to understand if you are focused and headed in the right direction. So as we as we land the plane here, you gave us a great tip in the beginning that I know a lot of people are gonna start using. So let's end with the great tip of trip as well. What would be your advice here or what would you give to sales leaders right now that are looking to refine their outbound strategy? Um, when I think about advice for sales leaders, um, be open to being sold to. So we all get cold calls. We all get cold emails. Like be a student of how people sell to you and take that cold call, respond with it. Try some trial objections. Um, I've learned a lot of different tactics 
from just watching people in the game, um, being cold called, hearing different approaches, sizing up how it feels, sharing it with my team. They riff on it. They take it to the next level. And so I think a lot of this role is like outbound changes so fast. And it's it's really the things that worked six months ago don't work today. Some of the chat GPT plays from three months ago are already played out. And so the more that you can actually open yourself up as a buyer, you can really pick up on what you think works best and start to share that with your team. So it's it's a little thing, but it's being open to being sold to, going through some of those and really putting yourself in a position where you can share with your team stories that they can take with, they can adjust their strategy and hopefully be successful. Love that. Well, hey, look, Chris, thanks so much for hopping on on one episode with us some insane insights that I know everybody's going to be able to use. And again, appreciate your time. Hope you have a good one. Thanks, Morgan.